When I think about this history, it makes me sad and bitter. I don't expect anything from this negotiation because they are suspect from day one. The way they are crafted says that every Namibian is affected. It is denying the fact that the Namas and Nairobi were affected. But the two minority groups feel discriminated against. They say the government remains insensitive to the suffering of their ancestors, allowing a beachside campsite as an area that Millions was once were affected by the brutality and greed of German colonialism. We're just demanding three things, an apology, recognition of genocide and reparations. If you break something, you have to fix it. In January 1904, the Herero people, led by Samuel Maharero, and the Nama people, led by Hendrik Whitboy, rebelled against the German colonial occupation. Their rebellion stood no chance of success against the oppressive German occupation of the region. Save Africa. Welcome to Pod 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 Save Africa. Welcome. A brief history of German occupation in present-day Namibia and the Herero Nama genocide. May 1884, Prince Bismarck, Imperial Chancellor of Germany, joined the Scramble for Africa, deciding to make German colonies of Cameroon, Togoland, and Southwest Africa. 1880s, Germany makes Southwest Africa a colony. 1889, in response to Herrero's growing hostility, the first German protective troops are sent to Southwest Africa. They are not meant for combat, but to keep peace. Late 1890s, 1897, a cattle virus, Rinderpest, kills approximately 60,000 cattle. Colonists offer the Herrero loans and they amass huge debt. 1903, the Nama rebel, they are later joined by the Herero in 1904. 1904, Major Lutwin is replaced by Lieutenant General Von Trotha, who has a reputation for eliminating African resistance to German colonization. During an attack, the Germans surround the Herero on three sides, leaving the Kalahari Desert open as the only route for escape the Germans poison the few watering holes available in the desert. October 1904, Von Trotha issues his extermination order. I, the great general of the German troops, send this letter to the Herero people. Hereros are no longer German subjects. They have murdered, stolen, 
they have cut off the noses, ears, and other bodily parts of wounded soldiers, and now, because of cowardice, they will fight no more. I say to the people, anyone who delivers one of the Herrero captains to my station as a prisoner will receive 1,000 marks. He who brings in Samuel Maharero will receive 5,000 marks. All the Herreros must leave the land. If the people do not do this, then I will force them to do it with the great guns. Any 1904 to 1907. After dying of illness, dehydration, and starvation in the desert, the Herrero who have not been systematically murdered by the Germans come back to their land, which is now unfamiliar, to be packed into concentration camps. Women are raped, tribes are experimented on, men, children, and women are worked to death and tortured. The Nama are also put into camps and lose 50% of their tribe. 1907, extermination order is canceled. Von Trotha is recalled. The Herrero have lost 80% of their tribe. Present day, present day, the Herrero appeal to U.S. courts for an apology and money to buy back the stolen land of their ancestors from the descendants of the colonizers that exterminated them. Because I know that historians, researchers, academics, they will make reference of this case. History will be written, even laws will also be written and this will serve as a case study. So it is, it, it's, it's a victory at many levels. You know, you go to the academic or the institutions of higher learning, people will also make reference of this. It's a case study in classrooms, people will talk about it and that's history making. <laughs> It is unique in the sense that you can find a written extermination order that was issued by Germany to exterminate, exterminate the Ovahelonama people. It wasn't like an afterthought. It wasn't like people decided to do it on happenstance. Let's go and eliminate, commit genocide against the Ovahelonama people. It was a thought out well um, campaign that was carried out through a written extermination order in 1904 issued against the Herero people, and then 1905, issued by the Nama, against the Nama people, by Germany. It's a violation of international law that Germany should be held responsible for, but the court has to decide the difficult issue whether a federal court here in New York has sufficient jurisdiction to decide that question. So that's um, uh, both the answer to that question, obviously, is very important to both sides, but I think the issue has already been resolved that what happened in Southwest Africa was a genocide and a violation, a violation of law, and Germany has not yet um, really uh, been completely held accountable uh, for uh, that genocide, and that's why we think it's important for our plaintiffs to be involved in the negotiations and settlement negotiations between Germany and Namibia. As of March 7th of 2019, New York federal court dismissed Namibia's genocide compensation suit. You see those small heaps of sand, these are actually graves. If we were to dig 
just with my hand, we will come across bones. All this area, it was the concentration camp going into the sea. 30,000 people were kept here. Many of my family members were held in concentration camps. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Port Save Africa. It's your host, Akendi Adirile, and I have the pleasure of being here with my partner. Hello, Jasmine K. Luckett. Yes, so we're going to discuss on the story we've just shared. Um, a lot of folks are not familiar with this genocide. If you look at the dates we outlined in the story ahead, they started, this event started in the 1880s and extended all the way through 1907. A lot of people consider this Germans, the German country's first genocide, and in fact, the first genocide of the modern 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of fascinating to see how uh, this huge atrocity pretty much has gone under the radar for so long. Mm -hmm. I think the estimates are of almost 100,000 people dead. Mm -hmm. Um, off of just the evil that these people uh, are pursued and and uh, and executed on these people, and it's there's some stories that you, you, we share, and we're almost just like this is one of those painful things that has seems to be kind of rustling in futility. That's just you know uh, painful to even listen or discuss, but. We as Positive Africa, I mean, that's, that's our mission, right? Mm -hmm. We want to share these stories. And um, I discovered it personally um, at my partner's her show. She was the assistant director of a play. Um, she's going to tell you a little bit more about it that highlighted this, this event and the bigger tragedy and the societal effects surrounding um, uh, the, the tragedy in uh, Namibia at the time. Um, yeah, I just want to share some thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, just going off of what you just said, I also had no idea that this had been a part of the world's history, as many people do not. Um, I came in contact with this story when I was asked by a third culture theater to act as their dramaturg and their assistant director on a show that they did. Um, shortened version of the title we are proud to present um, by Jackie Drury. Drury. Um, I probably butchered the last name, but um, basically it's a play that six actors, six actors are setting up while they're trying to tell this story about the genocide. And as the dramaturg or someone who basically deals with the history of the world of the play to assist the actors and support the play, I ended up breaking all of the history down and really getting into it. And it was, it was crazy to me that all of this happened um, and was a part of history and, and kind of got, it got lost. And like, I mean, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, for example, as an American and even a black American, I know the totality of black history. I know the totality of totality of American history that I don't. However, something like this where so many people were lost, so many people were systematically murdered 
um, and to have this then happen, I think about 40 years after um, in the Holocaust and to have something similar happen on a larger scale, but to not know about this first one, it blows, blows my mind. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you would agree with this, but part of, part of me is like, is the reason that we don't know about this one, does it have anything to do with the people who were being systematically murdered in the facts that they were African, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. That was a thought that passed uh-huh. through my mind while I was while I was taking all of this in and digesting it. But part of me, you know, I couldn't help but wonder: is that why I got lost? I I would, with the minimal expertise I have, I would say that that's precisely the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, some of the early uh, examples of eugenics were done even in. In this, uh, in this case, uh, people don't know that there's a gentleman named Eugene Fisher who, uh, who was working to prove racial inferiority of the black race, mm-hmm. um, was, 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 was experimenting on the Herrera and Nama people in this area. And that individual, uh, Eugene Fisher, would later be appointed by Hitler in, 1990, in 1933, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you understand you know, the concentration camps, the death, the, the experimentation, the hanging, the photos of like really old photos of you know men hanging in the front in the camps and like the little concentration huts they used to keep these folks in, um, and some of the testing they did on the the, the men, women, and children. You, you know, then the, then you understand that this in some ways was you know a precursor. This was a, a, a tragedy that happened, the genocide that happened even before the the genocide of the Jewish people in, in uh, Germany, roughly. Or 40, 40 years later, long before Hitler was born, mm-hmm. by the way, um, just to give you, exactly. uh, those of you that are thinking that kind of time, no. thoughts together. This was an invention, like this, concentration camps were an invention of Hitler. Right, and ex- no. precisely, precisely. <laughs> so um, just kind of giving you um, a perspective on, on you know, what colonialism looked like. I started off the story talking about the uh, scramble for Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of folks don't know about it, but some of you might be familiar with the Berlin Conference. And what basically happened was that, you know, all the European powers um, got together and said, yo, man, this is Africa place. They got resources. It's popping down there. They got gold. They got this kind of next. And mm-hmm. said, you know, hey, I'm going to take this part. You're going to take this part. You're going to take this part. They pretty much got together and planned how they were going to colonize us before coming to eventually then colonize us. Um, so that they wouldn't run into each other and they wouldn't have, um, they, they set the boundaries um, before we even got involved. Um, and, and if you understand a lot of the issues that modern day Africa has, is precisely as a result of that quote unquote scramble for Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, they essentially drew lines and separated. So if you lived across the line from your brother, that person was suddenly in a different country from you. And then your next door neighbor, somebody who lived you know, 30 miles away from you that you have no association with, was suddenly supposed to be a countryman. And some of the growing pains a lot of African countries have had now, as a result of being forced to be the same country, there was no organic, like many of the European countries had, where they, you know, they had their own small little empires, they fought, they fought, they formed allyships, maybe they were subjugated into each other, but eventually there was a more organic sense of them becoming one country. There was some unity in that history, whereas like Africans were like, all right, you, 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 yeah. <laughs> your countrymen now, sorry. <laughs> like, I don't care if you speak 500 different languages, et cetera, et cetera. So when people argue about tribalism and things like that, I think I'm one of the pieces of it. What, what did you know about like the, 
the the uh, scramble for Africa. It almost feels like that word feels, feels so weird, like scramble for scramble Africa, like where it's on commodity. Exactly, but, but that's but that's that's. I didn't know much first of all before before I um before I had to break this down as a dramaturg. So really, this was a lesson for me on many levels, not just about the history, but about the history of the African continent in general and some of the things that that are encompassed in in that. So after reading about the scramble for Africa, first of all, like you said, that word scramble, I was like, so people were, <laughs> so people is almost like rushing to the stores on Black Friday, you know, right. scramble to get this deal. Right. It, you know, it, it was, it was nuts to me that all these people gathered, right? So it was, as you mentioned, the Berlin Conference happened November 15th, 1884. And so it, there were 13 European states, the Ottoman Empire and the US basically all sat around and cut up the continent like pie and handed it out and passed it around. Okay. Um, and the thing, the thing that hit me about that is that often even today in politics, in society, what have you, there will be a group of people that get together who are considered to be the most powerful, the right. most whatever, fill right. in the blank, who decide the fate of another group of people who are considered to be weaker right. or less than or again, fill in the blank. Right. And so all of this stuff is still happening and it'll be under the guise right. to assist the quote unquote people who are considered yeah. the underdog. Right. We're going to quote unquote go civilize them. them. Yeah. We're going to help them. We're right. going to teach them da 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 da. Right. And you know the the uh, I'm not I'm not you know I'm losing the word I'm looking for. But the the overall the assumption and the arrogance that goes with that notion first yeah. of all is blew my mind in the first place. But then to have this sort of fake idea that you're going to help people that you assume need your help in the first place, um, that you do all of this, there there was no African present at this conference. So you don't know anything about the culture. You don't know anything about the people. You don't know anything about their day-to-day. You don't know anything about anything, but you're going to go in and you're going to help. And and whatever whatever yeah, else. So basically, so you're already starting off on a on a um, on a you know on a false false premise. Right. Um. So that was the thing that hit me, and we still do it today. We're gonna go in and help help these people to help people in the Middle East uh, set up a better economy, set up, you know, democracy, teach them democracy. And it's just like... It gives you some sense of how, like, you can tell what the, you can tell which approach works better, you know. Mm -hmm. When you look at global aid coming to the African continent right now, and how many countries are positioning themselves to help Africa, quote, and unquote, quote, and unquote. Um, it looks very similar to this, you know, peacekeeping force for this, that, and next. Um, how involved are those people in deciding their own faith? Are they being just told what to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so we as Africans, even just to play a cautious role in our own future, have to be aware and keenly um, focusing on what's happening in these um, countries. One other thing I think to kind of to kind of discuss as well is that 
in the 1880s, when the, when the Germans first got there, one of the things they did was they played the Nam and the Herero against each other. Yes. They were the two largest tribes at the time, if, I was, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to them, you know, the Germans decimating 80% roughly of the, of the uh, population. Um, and, you know, when you just get to a point where you just, you know, when, when you see how they played those two tribes against each other, you try to see a lot of, you start to see a lot of trends in many other African countries. Mm-hmm. Look, for example, at the Hutus and the Tutsis in, uh, in Central Africa, in uh, Rwanda, that eventually led to the Rwanda genocide. Part of that differentiator was that they picked, they went to a country and said, you guys that uh, seem to have a little more bomb money, you are the, this tribe. Mm-hmm. You guys that have less money, you are this tribe. And after decades of that happening, those people started to identify themselves as different, despite oftentimes being exactly the same. So that was your cousin, you know, 30 years ago. That's your third cousin, this time the next. Um, and that eventually led to genocidal activities because what they do when they separate you is that they also tell you that you are more you're of a better, human yeah. than this, or you're mm-hmm. better. You're they better pass that, yeah. You're not as good as us yes. with a you know, great you know, Caucasian person or whatever the case may be. Um, but you are at least better than that terrible person. That's that's less than human person. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the scars that Africa still has are based off of that initial um, um, aggressive, you know, thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and that, I mean, of course, you literally just described historically what happened when they came in. Uh, the German uh, air quote settlers came in. Um, so they came in in 1880s, yes, but it was in the midst of a war for land that was going on, yeah, between the two tribes. So everyone loves to make that point. They were already fighting. Right. However, that was the way that that worked. So you're gonna, so you're a tribe. They were livestock stock farmers. So mm-hmm. that's something that they prized greatly. So they're going to push against each other for more land. How do you do that? You have a war, yes. But at the end of the war, they had a system that worked out. Whoever won, there was a peace treaty created. All they did was they claimed the land. The wars were, I know this is going to be a little bit weird to use this word, but they were civil for all intents and purposes. So the Germans come in and they're like, they're fighting. Let us help you keep the peace. Again, there's that thing. Let us help you do something that you don't need help with. And then they pit them against each other in the precise way that you were talking about. Whoever the Germans favored were the ones that were the the people that they decided you guys are the leaders and you guys are not. Um, Specifically, just turning it turning it really quick to my experience with this with this work. There is a part that they deal with on stage where they say it's really easy for someone to go and pick out the strongest, the one with the straightest teeth, the one with the best hair and go, Mm. you guys are the leaders. And then all of a sudden they just as easily turn around and say, now you are the leaders. Of course you're going to go. We were just in charge. Right. And and so it all, it starts all of this ridiculous, you know, battle between each other. Um, There was a point where the Germans even gave more cattle to one, yeah. To one side than the other, and they switched it like that. So that was another way of pitting pitting them against each other. Um, so so yeah. So you you slowly move in and push these people off of their land, bribe them, put them against each other, give them deals that yeah. you know you're not going to deliver on. Um, and and then there and there you go. Yeah. Um, I guess. One of the final things to just look at is just 
really kind of the devastating amount of bad that was done to them. I mean, having 80% of a population, mm-hmm. there, you know, the people still alive now that are descendants, um, those folks are part of a lawsuit or were part of a lawsuit mm-hmm. against the Germans. Um, they were you're taking advantage of a law in U.S. courts that allows you to sue other nations mm-hmm. um, through, through the U.S. Uh, court system, federal court system. And they made a case, you know. I mean, I, if, if I remember correctly, the lawyer was saying that there's, I mean, what, we, what was read was the actual extermination letter. That was mm-hmm. a letter from the uh, general, uh, what's Trotter, his name? Von yeah. Trotter, Lothar von Trotter. Even his name said Lothar von Trotter. Not to be uh, a, me, a dick or anything, but, you know, that, that sounds like the name of a supervillain. Mm-hmm. But um, you know his extermination order, like there's a written extermination order that was carried out, um, and Germany actually, if I remember correctly, in 2005 actually accepted that it was a genocide, but has refused to make any uh, recompense for the evil that they've done. Yeah. Um, and what I see the argument being made on, in times that oh, you know, if Germany has to pay people back, then they suddenly have to pay then all the European companies have to pay people back for all the evil they've mm-hmm. done. And the answer is, yes, yeah, yeah. go ahead, yeah, start <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, let's, let's run it up. What's, what's, what's good? Um, and that's, you know, that is our stance here as policy Africa. That's, yes, we far frankly believe that if there's evil that has been done systematically to destroy the opportunities available to people that currently exist. It's not like you did one bad thing and then the effects just went away after you did that bad exactly. thing. You know, these are communities decimated. Now, those people don't have that land. Uh, Namibia, if I remember correctly, 6% uh, uh, are white, Caucasian, descendants of their colonial masters, and they own 60% of the wealth. Mm -hmm. That is directly the effect of things like what has happened like this. The Herero and and Nama were the two largest tribes at the time. They killed most of the two largest largest tribes, and what do you expect to happen? So the effects are still there, and the recompense must be done one way or another. Um, So that's our stance here. I think that there's a way to you know, effectively and peacefully arrange for it to be done. That is in a civil way that is right and just. I'm not saying go and, you know, kill everybody that's white in Namibia. That's not at all my stance. Um, I think that there's a way for that resources should be redistributed so that these people have an equal chance to wealth and opportunity in their own country, which exactly. is not, which yeah. is currently not the case. And that's just the truth. So, yeah. And um, the thing, the thing that was, crazy about it is like if you keep going through that interview that clip that you played before we started having the discussion the the woman actually said they want they want the land back she goes it's not even their land correction it was they should have thought about that a hundred years ago. So did all of the, right. you blame the people that were, for, yeah. this is your fault. Like they killed you. Let you right. Do, right. Like, like they let, they were, right. it was their fault that this happened to them. Like they let this happen, Right. you know? And um, there's almost like this weird, sick, twisted it is. finders, so, keepers right. thing. I mean, but you have to understand yeah. too, it's like their vested human interest is in occupying the place of privilege exactly. that they currently have. So yeah. I don't expect much different, but it's just... Yeah, it's just, the, you listen to it, yeah, it's yeah, It's like you more almost yeah. just, yeah, so... And um, it's crazy. I believe we have like the tendency to yeah. kind of be desensitized against like, oh, well, you know, that's the way it goes. But it's still coming back to this story every time i read it every time i listen to it whether it's through the play or through my through my work it's it's still shocking it's like wow 
like yeah. you actually said that so, so um yeah. i don't know i think the yeah just just i mean this is just a bigger um importance as to why we do things like what we do here at Port Save Africa. Mm -hmm. yeah. The point is to tell these stories, to bring them to light. I, even as an African, had no clue this had happened. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand the consequence, not just in the individual activities, but just historically what it means for the people of the Herero and Nama people, the people of Namibia, people of Africa as a whole. Um, it is, is, is so remarkable and so incredible that it's important that we tell our own stories and we yes. capture our own stories. You know, Absolutely. the honor of having told this story, um, jazz on this podcast today is, especially because here is a place now it's recorded forever. Um, and mm -hmm. this is a story that, you know, even Googling it, you find very few resources on it. Um, and, and it is important that these pockets of our missing history do not get lost to the, to the winds of time. Um. This is not the only genocide that happened in the mm -hmm. African continent. The failure of what's happened in Congo, Belgian Congo, and this is something we plan on addressing on this podcast as well. But um, we appreciate having had the opportunity to share this story with you. And we hope you take this piece of missing history and continue to remain curious about the African continent, the histories, the reasons, and the lessons we take from those things. Um, and in, in maybe ways we can support our friends, the heroes, Herreros and the Namas still searching for justice um, internationally. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, just I'm, um, I'm happy that I got to, to come on to Pate of Africa to, to assist in telling this story. And I love the thing that I really, really love about this podcast, not saying this just because I'm your partner, but I, I love that it's focused on the ownership of narration of like owning your own story. The reason that history is recorded the way it is, is because it's recorded by the people who were quote unquote, um, successful or yeah, the victors, the, victors, the, oppressor, yeah, the oppressor, exactly. The oppressor ends up writing the story, yeah. um, or the people that they haven't eliminated, obviously people they haven't, they've eliminated can't tell a story. Um, people that they've oppressed or erased or anything like that they can't tell the story so as soon as as soon as you're aware of pieces of history like this as soon as you um hear about it or come in contact with it it's so important to retell it and to um and to tell it right too yeah. and and to be proud i know it's weird to say to be proud of your history and all of it but yeah even even the darker parts of your history um because it's you know it's important to have the the balance of there being dark parts but then being triumphant afterwards yep. into yeah. and overcoming that and seeing what progress and evolution happens within a culture within a people within yeah. a community so i'm so proud specifically of pod save africa for being such a champion for telling your own story thank um you. and i think that's really important i think we need more of it thank you and uh we will continue to do this, uh, uh, wonderful listeners. Um, let's now thank the wonderful folks that have helped us put this together. Um, special thanks to resources we leaned on to to get this information. Um, specifically, the, uh, the activity, the play that inspired us all. Um, yes. Uh, the play, just because I didn't mention the full 
the full title at the top. It is called, We Are Proud to Present a Presentation about the Herero of Namibia, formerly known as Southwest Africa, from the German sued West Africa between the years of 1884 and 1915. And that play is by Jackie Sibley's Drury. So if you're interested in reading that, then that is the title of the play and you can check that out. Okay, and we'd also like to thank uh, historyhub.abc-clio.com. Uh, that's where we found the quote directly that translated the uh, execution order. Mm -hmm. um, we would also like to thank uh, Third Culture Theater, one for putting on this play and for their dramaturgy resources. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then also after, after the closing of this, there is a link that'll be available. If you guys want to know more about the genocide, more about the history, there is a full on, um, full on timeline. There are more resources that were put together by myself and um, Weston Trudowski, who was also a part of Third Culture Theater and who was my awesome dramaturgy partner. So we put together a whole bunch of stuff um, that you can continue looking into this and. Um, satisfying any curiosity that you may have about the subjects and the things that we talked about today. All right, and final thanks to uh, Forbes.com where we got some of the quotes we need used at the beginning of the essay, um, just quantifying the sizes of the losses and uh, the helping to us to paint the picture of what happened. Um, that's it for us. Uh, this has been your friends here at Pod Save Africa. Thank you for listening.